Thank you. You can take your Bibles and turn over with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4. And as we continue to dig deeper into this book, um, you've got to put your thinking cap on and you've got to put some study in, into it a little bit. And uh, you've you got to dig and seek the Lord for his wisdom to apply the truth in, um, in your heart. On Saturday, we took the college and career um, activity, or some of them, we were, went to the bowling alley and did a, a, um, just a time of bowling, and then we went to get some lunch. And while we were there, um, they had one of these, one of these robot contraptions that, had, that delivered the pizza to the, the rooms where the kids were having parties. And it was just, you know, looked like, um, looked like one of those vacuum cleaners, you know, those automatic vacuum cleaners stacked on top of one another all the way about four foot high and then had shelves in there and had two or three of them, had little eyeballs that were blinking. You know, like, it was a really neat thing to see this contraption. And Joshua went and walked up to it, you know, and it moved around and you didn't go... Uh, you know, different ways. I know some others that are in our, uh, in our church work over at the Toyota plant said that some of those battery-powered uh, operated robots are being used now on the assembly line to build some of these cars. Uh, you know, Amazon and some of these other places are now delivering packages via, you know, artificial intelligence and uh, robots and things like that. It's interesting the contraptions that man has been able to invent um, have, you, have you ever been to a science fair? Some of you, uh, you know, science buffs and uh, engineers, and you probably have seen some really interesting things that, that men can put their mind to and build and make. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure we were talking with Joshua about Jules Verne. He's reading um, uh, 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and a comment came up about his From the Earth to the Moon. And uh, just thinking about some of the things that kind of came up in, uh, in the 1800s and even in the Industrial Revolution about things that are just being, you know, thought through, the contraptions. And it looked so weird at the time. But, um, you know, then you look back, you realize, you know what, some of the things that we were seeing on Lost in Space are now in the bowling alley, right? <laughs> um, you know, some of the things that you saw on Star Trek are, you know, are you now getting in their cars, you know, and... And it's just not so far off on some things. But man has the ability, the creative ability that God created to be, um, uh, to, to make things and establish. In fact, um, even in study of history and archaeology, uh, we are discovering even all the way back to some of the ancient people of some of the inventions that they had that we think today are modern, that they actually had thousands of years ago. Um, and, uh, and, and thought through. Um, w man has, uh, has invented some very interesting looking things. Um, and yet God sometimes uses those things that man has invented as objects lessons in the scripture to teach us some spiritual truth, some spiritual lessons. And this vision is one of those um, contraptions that is going to be explained through this vision in Zechariah chapter 4 that you're going to have to think and you have to see. I did have some pictures. There's not a whole lot of text in my PowerPoint as much as it is just some visuals to help you follow along to understand what Zechariah is seeing. Um, and the contraption that he's seeing in this vision is a weird contraption. 
It's like Ezekiel seeing the wheel within the wheel that moves from one place to the next in every direction. It's like, what is that? Even Ezekiel has, has a hard time understanding what those things are. Apocalyptic literature has some weird things at times. And if you, if you, you have a hard time picturing what we're going to read here, don't feel alone because Zechariah is having a hard time picturing what he's seeing. He actually asked twice in this vision, what is this? Okay. What am, I, what am I seeing? So let's read it here. It's uh, the 14 verses, and then uh, we've got a lot that we need to work through. So tonight, and the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of sleep and said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it or above it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof, or above it. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other on the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No my Lord. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, or flat. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, take joy, and shall see the plumb line or the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Um, so we've seen four visions so far in Zechariah. Look over at chapter 1 and verse 8. I saw by night, behold, a man. Notice he saw at night. Verse 18 of chapter 1. Then lifted I up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. There's the second vision. He lifted up his eyes. After one vision, he bowed his head. The vision was over. A new vision comes. He lifted up his eyes, and he sees these four horns. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So notice after the vision, he brings down. His posture is that he looks down, his eyes come down, then he looks back up in a new vision that comes. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. And he showed me Joshua. So the word and is not showing 
I, I believe it is showing a new vision as carried over. So in the indication, however, he doesn't lift up his eyes this time. It seems to move right from one vision to the next in chapter 3 in a completely different vision seeing Joshua. And this is the one we talked about last week. And in this vision, he saw the, the cleansing of the nation of Israel. There Joshua was in dirty garments, filthy garments, standing before the Lord, ministering before the Lord, Satan buffeting him or Satan rebuking him and accusing him. And the Lord rebukes the devil, puts him in his place, moves back over to Joshua, tells the angels to come to Joshua, take off those filthy clothes, put on the new happy pants that Joshua is going to now wear, that he's cleansed, he's been forgiven, his iniquity has passed away, and now he is dressed in new garments and he is free. And remember Joshua representing the nation of the war, the nation of Israel itself being saved, being redeemed, being forgiven and brought back into a relationship with God. Then at the end of that vision in chapter 3, he sees a person introduced in three titles. The angel of the Lord called the servant, the branch, and the stone. We just briefly talked about that last week and I believe that is the Messiah the servant branch who is coming and will come to serve. And so there's, a, there's an indication there at the end of that chapter. And in that day, at the end of verse 10 of chapter 3, uh, the Lord is going to bring peace to the nation of Israel because the Messiah is come and cleanse them of their sins. Notice chapter 4 and verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and he waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. So this vision has to do in this, uh, it seems to be a pause. And he kind of slumbers off in meditation. His head is bowed again, almost like, notice he uses the word like or as, he's going to sleep. Or he's, he's, he's in a, in not a trance, I don't know if I would see it as a trance. But um, in, a, in, a way, in a place of slumber. The word can also be translated in a, in a sense of, um, of just kind of relaxed. Okay, it's not always translated as being asleep, but also just in, um, in, a, in a state of daze. And then he is awoken up by this, um, this angel who's going to show him a new vision. Now, if the previous vision is talking about the cleansing of the nation of Israel, this vision is going to be about the empowerment of God to his servants. Right? So if you, that's just kind of the theme of what we're going to see. God is going to empower his servants to do the task. So as we see him awaken like a man out of sleep, after the previous vision, he had bowed his head and he seems to go into some kind of meditation. This is similar to what happens to Daniel in Daniel chapter 8. In fact, we're not too far away from there. Turn over. We're going to be turning a lot this evening with the time that we have. I think it's good. It helps us to go and stay awake. All right. Daniel chapter 8 and verse uh, 18. This is what uh, Daniel says when he's seeing his vision. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face towards the ground, but he touched me and he set me right. 
And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what thou shalt be in the last of the end of indignation. Okay, so uh, Daniel goes into this kind of sleep as he's seeing these visions. Look over in, down in, in verse 27 of Daniel chapter 8. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days after I rose up and did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vi vision, but none understood it. So after he sees these visions, Daniel is physically sick. For several days. So what we are seeing is. When he sees these visions. It affects him physically. Emotionally. Alright. This is serious stuff. That Daniel is going to see. Daniel chapter 9. Turn over two chapters. To Daniel chapter 9. In verse 9. Uh, no. Daniel chapter 10. In verse 9. Yet I uh, heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face towards the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So a very similar thing that is happening to Zechariah happened to Daniel several hundred years before when an angel was also giving him a vision as well. In other words, these visions that Zechariah sees one right after another, this is the fifth one. So after these visions, one right after another, um, Zechariah is feeling the effects of it. It is draining his body. The mental weakness to see these visions showing that he has to, he has to have an angel actually come to him and, and shake him awake. Now, some, you know, so you've, you may have had one of those dreams where you, you woke up and you were so entrenched in this dream, you got up and your body ached afterwards, okay? You felt like you were running, you know, from that mass murderer or whatever it was. And, uh, and, and you just felt that ache. Now, this is a vision from God, not a dream, and he is seeing this, and it is affecting his body. Uh, John MacArthur says in his study notes at the end of, of his Bible about this verse that he is exhausted from holy trauma. He explains it in a sense of trauma, what he is seeing. I mean, he just saw the devil. He just saw Joshua clothed with filthy garments and the angel of the Lord. And he, is, uh, he is being physically affected by what he is seeing in these visions. So look down in verse 1 as he sees this vision and the angel comes to him, wakes him up out of the sleep. God has more for Zechariah to see. And um, I, I don't know, my mind just went to the Christmas story in this. I, it just, just kind of goes, and you remember, uh, you know, Scrooge is going to see three, you know, three wishes and, or whatever, three, three ghosts or whatever it is. One right after another and he's waiting for. All, I mean, one, all of these eight visions come to Zechariah in one night. One right after another. And, and Zechariah is starting to feel, maybe it's three o'clock in the morning, all right? And he's on his fifth one. And he's got, he's got three more to go after this one and uh, until six in the morning. And, he, and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling this. But God is giving him revelation every time. And he packs it all in one night. He's like, Lord, couldn't you do this in you know, eight, eight nights over the course of a week and a day? 
But no, the Lord does it all in one night because he's, uh, he's, he's seeing the urgency of the hour. He's shown him future blessings. He's shown him future judgment. He's shown him future salvation. He's shown him the future branch, the servant, and the stone. He's seeing the future rest and hope of God's people, the restoration of the nation of Israel, Jerusalem, and the temple being rebuilt. And now God says, I've got more for you, Zechariah. I'm not finished. So he moves on. So look at verse 2. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, Oh, wait, I'm in chapter 2. 4, verse 2. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of all gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes of the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. Now, just in an explanation, what he sees is he sees a candlestick. It's made of all gold. On top of the candlestick is a bowl. And out of that bowl comes seven lamps. Okay, you have seven lamps on the candlestick and then seven pipes or tubes or channels or conduits. Okay, depending on what translation you may have. So just thinking about candlesticks here tonight, okay, um, what, is, what is the practical and spiritual purpose of light as we think about Scripture? Um, what does a candle do? A candle gives light. I mean, you turn on the light when you go into the room so that you can see what you're doing. You're going you're to bump into something. Um, there were candles in the temple. There were candles in the tabernacle. Why? Practically, so the priests could see what they're doing. Why did God make the sun? Why did God make the moon? Well, he tells us in the book of Genesis, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. You know why God made the sun? Well, you know, is there all this science stuff and, you know, astronomy stuff and all this. You know the practical reason God made the sun? So we can see. You know why God made the moon? So we can see. Right? He made us with eyes so that we can enjoy what we see. He didn't make us blind. So the practical use of light all throughout Scripture, all throughout you know, creation, is so that we can see. However, light also speaks symbolically in the Bible for something spiritual. What does light do? Light expels darkness. Light gets rid of darkness. Light exposes and reveals the truth. Light is symbolized in both the Old and the New Testament in the form of truth. Light is symbolized in the Old and New Testament as guiding us to truth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the book of Proverbs, light is described as the way of wisdom. We talked about this in Sunday school. The strange woman cries out in the night. But it is the lady wisdom in Proverbs 8, 9, and 10 who cries out in broad daylight. Because wisdom is found in the light. It exposes the truth. 
God is pictured in the Scripture as light. When He manifests Himself in the Old Testament, did you know He manifests Himself through light? When Moses saw Him in the burning bush, it was shining. When he saw Him on the Mount of, of, uh, of Sinai, Mount Sinai, His glory shone. Lightning is oftentimes described as the presence of God. When they came into the temple and the cloud filled the temple and the tabernacle, it shone, His glory shone, that the priest could not even move because of the brightness of God. That moves into the New Testament when Paul is on the road to Damascus, or Saul is, and Jesus appears before him. He's blinded by the light. Jesus is described in the New Testament, revealing the glory of God by the term light. Okay, So light is used all throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, as not just practical, but also a symbol of truth. Light is seen as pointing to the truth of God. So, we can also see that light also symbolizes the fact that there is a witness and an influence pointing something or someone to truth. Specifically, the one true God. So, that, that metaphor and that symbol is used all throughout the Bible. Light being shown to point to the one who is the light. Now, who was the light pointing people in the Old Testament to the one true God? Well, at first it was individuals, patriarchs, such as Adam and Abel and Enoch and Noah. Noah was a light pointing people to the truth in a very dark day. In fact, he was the only light in a very dark day. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then God chose a nation. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. And there in your notes, you probably have a list of verses. I like to run through these verses just as, as quickly as I can, but I want you to follow along in this. And I believe this is important for us to understand what is going on in the vision because we see a candlestick. We see a lampstand. What is that going to be a, a representing of? Numbers 25 in, in the prophecy of Balaam, as he prophesies about the nation of Israel and the future hope of the nation. Remember, he's told to go down and curse Israel. And instead of cursing Israel, he now goes down and he gives this one of the greatest prophetic blessings of Israel in all of the Bible is done by a pagan man named Balaam. In Numbers chapter 20, uh, 25, notice what he says here in verse 16. He hath said which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance and having his eyes open. And here he says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a what? A star. Verse 17 of Numbers, uh, if he's, uh, I have 25, you're being 24, sorry. So Numbers 24, chapter before and verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but, uh, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. What is a star? A star is one of those lesser lights on, at night that you see. Okay, it, it, but it is a light. 
And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of, of Sheth. So the very first prophecy, a prophecy that is coming out of, uh, of a time during Israel's infancy under Moses, there's a prophecy that, that there is coming a light. There is coming a star. And the star is going to, to reflect. Now, I want you to move over to Exodus chapter 19. That means we have to go back, actually. It's all in the, all in the Old Testament, specifically in the law of Moses. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3 and 6. 3 down to verse 6. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I have done unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you up unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar people, treasure unto me above all the people of all the earth that is mine. You are going to be my special people. Verse 6. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This is what I want Israel to do. You are going to be my chosen people. And of all the nations of the world, when they look to the one true God, they are going to look to you. You're, you're going to be the light. Uh, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 5. Flip over. You're going to have to go back into uh, the prophets. Ezekiel will remind Israel of their purpose. In Ezekiel chapter 5 in verse 5. Thus saith the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. And I have set her or it in the midst of all of the nations and the countries that are around about her. I put her right smack dab in the middle of the world. A little area 75 miles wide and 150 miles north and south. Out in the Middle East. And right there I'm going to put a plot on top of a mountain about 2,500 uh, feet above sea level. There's going to be a little city called Jerusalem. And it's there that I've set them in the midst of all the nations. And you are to shine as light. Now, I want you to follow this same theme into the book of Isaiah. Go back to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 to chapter 66. The last section of the book of Isaiah. This is all one lump. So if you were going to take the book of Isaiah and divide it into sections, chapter 40 to 66 is a, is a last section of the book of Isaiah. And it's going to tell about God's purpose for history, both past and present. It is during these chapters that Isaiah brings forth a term, my servant. 31 times from chapter 40 to chapter 66, the word servant is going to be used by God both in the singular and in the plural. Talking about one person and talking about a group of people. And look in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 8. 
chapter 40 in uh, verse, it says here, uh, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth because the spirit of the Lord blows upon it. Surely uh, the, the people is grass and the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Look up in, um, uh, down in verse 13. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord as his counselor? Uh, in um, uh in this verse, in verse 25, Whom then shall ye liken in me that I shall be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things? Verse 27, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is uh, passed over from my God? And so, here in these verses, he's crying out, he's telling all the nations of the world to look at God, look at the Creator. Look at chapter um, in, in verse uh, chapter forty two in verse six, Isaiah forty two. In verse six, I the Lord hath called thee in righteousness, and will hold thy hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. Right. Verse 8, I am the Lord, and this is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to any graven image. So Israel was to look down in verse 12. Let them give glory unto the Lord, and let them declare his praise in the islands. Talking about Israel. Look over chapter 43 in verse 7. Even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Look down in verse 10. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, neither shalt there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior. So the reason I bring some of these verses out is because I'm showing you what God's purpose for the nation of Israel has always been and was in the Old Testament. Look at chapter 49 of Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 verse 3. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So here he's called my servant, O Israel. Look down in verse 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to rise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore and preserve the preserve of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Look at Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 in the first few verses. Arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Chapter six, uh, 60, 
uh, 2. In verse 6 and 7. For I have set a watchman upon the walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. And he that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. And give him no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the whole earth. Now, my point here is long before Zechariah saw this vision, God had told Israel that they were to be the light of all the nations. They were to show all the pagan nations around the world that there is only one true God. Anything made of stone or wood, anything from the moon or the stars, any, any of the other idols and the polytheistic religions that filled the Middle East and all the ancient world, they were to see Israel as the one who held the, the, the worship and the praise and the truth of the one true God. And the scripture tells us that God became angry with Israel because they failed to be that light. Go back to Isaiah 42 and look what God says. Look how God feels about Israel. Isaiah 42 in verse um, 16. And I will bring the blind by a way and they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them, and I'll make crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them, and they will not forsake them. Verse 18. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant, and deaf as my messenger that I sent. Who is blind as he that is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant. In other words, the Lord is saying... My servant is now blind. They can't see. They're deaf. They can't hear. And I've been crying out to them. I've been showing forth my glory. And what have they done? They've forsaken me. They've rejected me. They have failed the Lord in their purpose to show forth his glory. What did Israel do instead? They decided to bring the Amorite gods and bring them into their temple. They decided to bring the Babylonian gods and worship them. They decided to just add on all these other gods and bring up much more confusion. Instead of being the purpose that God intended to be. Now what we are seeing in Zechariah is after Israel is cleansed from their sin... After Israel finally accepts the Messiah, Jesus, then God again will restore to them as a light to the world. And I believe that in the millennial reign of Jesus, in the future, that Israel will be again the witness to all the nations that there is one true God. Now I want to remind you that the light of the nation of Israel is currently out. Paul talked about that. We mentioned that last week. The nation of Israel does not point anyone to Jesus of Nazareth. They, they point people to Jehovah. They point people to the Old Testament. But the nation of Israel itself does not point anyone to Jesus of Nazareth. The, the true, the one true Messiah that can bring salvation. They, as a nation, have rejected him. 
And because they have rejected him, God has moved that instrument of light to a new agent. Not a new Israel, but a new instrument. A different organization. Or a different organism. He has chosen the bride, which is the church, to be his light in the age that we live in today, in the age of grace. The church is pictured in the New Testament as the light of the world. Interesting that this symbolism is also used in the book of Revelation, again, for the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Each church is what? A candlestick. And what is the warning that God gives to the churches in Revelation if they failed God in being the light of the world that they should be? What is the warning? Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, Jesus warns the churches that he will snuff them out. He will take away their light. He will take away their influence. And he will put them out. So, as we move back to Zechariah, I say all of that to include this because what you are seeing here at the end of the Old Testament, God's purpose for the nation of Israel, they've not met up to God's demands. They've actually failed him. And because of their failure, they've been into captivity. Now they're being brought back and there's going to be a period of 400 silent years. But God is not finished with his people. And so he's going to show, he's going to cleanse them one day in the future. And they will receive him as their savior. And then after he cleanses them, he will restore them back in the nations of the world where everyone will look to the nation of Israel and see the glory of God and be pointed to that. Now, if you're, if you're thinking in this vision uh, that, uh, that uh, Zechariah sees of a menorah, then you've got a good perspective of what, what you're seeing in this vision. In fact, the Hebrew word that is used here for candlestick is the word menorah, which is where the Hebrews get the, 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 um, the term for this article. However, what, what Zechariah sees as this menorah is not a normal one. There's some things added to it that makes it look weird. Remember the weird contraption thing in the science fair? Okay, this is where it starts to be a little weird for Zechariah. Remember, Zechariah was a priest. His grandfather was a priest. He's in the line of priests. So he was familiar with the temple. He's familiar with, with the, the scripture. He's familiar with this candlestick, this menorah. Though menorah was a piece of article or furniture that was in the temple. A menorah, did you know, is the symbol for modern day Israel. It is, on their, it is the symbol of their nation. The menorah, it is plastered over everything. Yes, the star of David on their flag. But the symbol of the nation itself, modern Israel, is the menorah. Um, it plays an important part. It is a symbol for Israel. In fact, in Solomon's day, there was, according to Solomon, or actually I have this picture here outside the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. Uh, this is a picture of what um, the articles, I remember I told you you could go into that museum, and in that museum they have articles of the temple already built. And this is one of the, you can go on, you can find a YouTube clip, they actually, this is pure gold, and it's the menorah, it's the actual size of the Old Testament, and they have it encased in this um, very protective, um, bomb-proof material, 
and you can see it, and they have several of them. In fact, in the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 7, in Solomon's temple, he built 11 of them. You remember the tabernacle only had one. But when Solomon built the temple and consecrated it, the scripture says that he built ten lampstands and ten tables of showbread bread plus one. So here at the Temple Institute, actually um, this, is, this is a picture, a drawing of the representation of Solomon's temple. You can see them all along the side. These were, are the eleven menorah candles and these are the eleven tables of showbread. Every day, every morning, these lamps were lit by the priest. Every morning, new bread was brought in, not put on one table of showbread, but on 11 tables. Not lit um, one menorah, but every morning and every evening, they were to relight these menorahs over and over again. Now later, when Ze uh, Zechariah and Zerubbabel rebuild the temple, he doesn't replace it with the 11 that Solomon had. He replaces it back with one. So in the temple that stood in Jesus' day, it did not look like this. But it looked like this in Solomon's day. In Jesus' day, there was one menorah and there was one table of showbread. In fact, if you go to Italy and you go to Rome and you look on the Arch of Titus. Titus was the emperor of Rome in 70 AD. He was responsible for basically... Um, besieging Jerusalem and burning the temple to the ground. He picked up that menorah that Zerubbabel had put into the temple at this time during Zechariah and he carried it to Rome and he, he built it, not it, but he built a picture of that menorah being held over the head as it was paraded down the streets of Rome in the Roman world. This exact menorah that seems to be uh, that, that um, Zechariah would have been familiar with. Now, as I, as I give you some of these instructions, um, I, I want you to just kind of see, this is a picture that I took from the Mount of Olives um, looking out towards Jerusalem. If you see, there's a tower right here. This is, um, this is a church. I think it's a covenant-type church of somewhere. The next picture, I'm in the top of this tower looking the opposite way. So this is looking west. This is from that tower looking east. So the picture that I took was right there looking this way. This time I'm taking the picture. This is the Mount of Olives right here. This is the, the, the um, this, uh, southern portion of the Mount of Olives. Uh, over here is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And all along the Mount of Olives are obviously these olive trees. That's why it's called... Um, uh, that olives. And um, in this picture, just kind of showing you uh, the olive tree, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, these are some olive trees that are there. These olive trees um, that you can see to this day, some have indicated they are about uh, 2,000 years old, 1,500 to 2,000 years old in there. Olive trees live for a long time, so yeah, you can see that for a long time. So in this vision, um, Zechariah is going to see the menorah. He's going to see these tubes and this contraption. And then he's going to see this olive tree. These two olive trees that are on one side and the other that are, that are filling this, um, this, this uh, contraption up. On top of it, I'm just going to give you a picture here. This is what he's seeing. He's seeing the menorah with the seven lamps. 
He's seeing a bowl on the top. Then he sees seven pipes that are running from the bowl down to the lamp. And then there are two golden pipes on the top. Where did he find the two golden pipes? These, these arches up here running to the tree. That's in verse 12. Look down in verse 12. He said, I said again, he said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? So not only did he see seven tubes going to the lamp from the bowl, but he also saw two tubes going from the bowl to the two trees. And this, this contraption of, uh, of a thing that is, um, that is being seen here, and, and no wonder that Zechariah turns around and says, what is this? Now, some have indicated that Zechariah is not confused in what he sees, because he would have been familiar with this type of stuff. He knew what an olive tree was. He knew what a menorah was. He knew what a bowl of oil was. Um, the tubes that seem to go, he, he, you know, he kind of sees, okay, I understand what's going on. However, what he's confused about is, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with the nation of Israel? Why does any of this have any application? What, what am I seeing here? That's what he's asking the, the angel. And the angel then responds to him and says, what do you mean? You don't know what this is? And he responds twice by saying, I have no idea. I have no idea. And you may be saying, I, I don't have any idea either. Well, the description of this by the angel, the Holy Spirit is going to come through the angel to give some description to help understand. And here, here's just, we can end with this this evening. Basically, we have the words of God. We have the things that are seen even in apocalyptic literature. Okay, menorahs, olive trees, tubes, oil. Okay, wheels within a wheel. Uh, the next one's vision is going to be a flying scroll through the air. Okay, we, we can see it. We can see the words of God. But by ourselves, in our own human understanding, we are limited. We have to have the work of God to open our eyes to understand the truth. Now this may in fact be the exact meaning of, of the whole vision itself. We need God to help us understand His Word. There are unsaved people. There are intellectual people. There are Greek-speaking and Hebrew-speaking people that know Hebrew and Greek far better than I do that can read God's Word. But if they don't have God's power and God's Spirit in their life, it's just a bunch of words. We need God to help us understand. And if you, have, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then any book of the Bible... Any verse that you open up every day, you can read. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, He can help you to apply that truth in your life and you can grow and learn God. All right, that's just, the Word is a lamp and it is a light and we need God's help to understand it. And um, so I don't think it's as much complicated. It just takes some time to walk through. Um, I do want to walk back and see uh, Israel as the witness and what this light is going to mean and represent in this vision at another time. Father, thank you for the time we have this evening.
uh, Lord, there's, there's so much here, especially in things that, that, that uh, we're not as familiar with, like menorahs and um, the temple and olive trees. It's not part of our culture like it was steeped in, in Jewish culture, even still today. And Lord, for us to understand these visions, we've got, we've got to do a little bit of homework. We, we've got to follow some of the, the symbols and the patterns that have been brought through from one, one book to the next so that when we come to this vision, we understand what your purpose is. And one day, you're going to use the nation of Israel again as a light. Right now, um, they're dark. They're blind. Uh, they've rejected. And you are using the church today, not a new Israel but a completely different organism to point people to the truth. Lord, would we, would we be constantly about uh, doing what we know we need to do? We can't do it um, by ourselves. Uh, that's what the vision is going to show us. We must have the power of the Spirit that em em empowers us and enables us to do what we've been called to do. Thank you for your word that uh, it is a lamp and shows us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you for putting your thinking cap on.